Well, greetings to you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, John, for that kind welcome personally. Where we come from in upstate New York, in the Adirondacks, they have what are hills, and they're called mounts. And the Bible sometimes, well, often uses mounts, uh, mountains, or hills synonymously, but this being my first trip as far west as I've come today, there's clearly a distinction between mountains and mounts, or hills. So this is a beautiful place, and I'm blessed to be here to preach God's word to you. Let's turn in the New Testament to Paul's letter to Philemon. I know some people call it Philemon or Philemon, but Philemon, I think, is what sits with me. Philemon, there's only one chapter. You find it before Paul's letter to the Hebrews. We'll read all of the letter, but my message will focus mainly on verses 15 and 16. This is God's word, and so let's pray first briefly, and then we'll read together. Father, we're grateful for the word that you have inspired by your Holy Spirit and given through your servant Paul. Thank you for the blessing that your word has been to the people of God in all ages, and we trust that likewise, even today, as we seek you, Lord Jesus, that you would bless us by your spirit in both the reading and the preaching, and also the hearing, and especially the doing and the keeping of your word in our hearts. Give us that grace that we would give you all the praise and the thanks and the glory as we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, 
But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so Paul's letter to Philemon. Maybe you know the famous uh, picture illusion of the young woman, the old woman. We may be looking at something, but we don't realize all that we're looking at. If you know that picture, in the case of the illusion, the young woman with a curved facial line, pronounced ear, necklace, looking away from the viewer, is, in fact, upon further concentration, an old woman with a crooked nose, large chin, and bulging eye. What we first thought of a picture becomes a picture with more than we thought. And so, too, Paul's letter to Philemon. There's more here than you might think. This is not merely a story about the runaway slave Onesimus being reconciled to his Christian master, Philemon, though obviously that's the simple portrait. This letter is about far much more. In fact, in a very surprising way, Philemon is not a mere piece of biography. But even the letter to Philemon is doctrine by biography, we could say. If you'd see some of the doctrines of this letter, Paul's shortest letter, then you have to read between the lines. You have to, in view of my illustration, you have to stare at it, maybe. You have to look at it and contemplate what's before you. You have to consider the main characters. You have to consider the vocabulary, such things. Onesimus' return to Philemon conveys the gospel doctrine of reconciliation. That is, guilty sinners put at peace with God by God's own doing. That's one doctrine of the gospel. Another doctrine that's here in this letter is a sort of case study in the doctrine of justification. That is, the once guilty sinner is in Christ, credited a righteousness that is not his own, and a forgiveness that is not in any way deserved or merited. But Paul helps us for another doctrine to see the doctrine of providence. And that's what we'll look at today, the doctrine of providence. What is meant by providence, you might ask? Of course, by providence, we're referring to the Bible's teaching of God's most holy and wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. 
Whereas creation was God making and establishing what is, providence is God's directing and using what is. Creation is God's once-for-all work. Providence is his ongoing work. Creation was once. Providence is daily. It's constant. And since providence pertains to all that is, there is no creature, then, that is outside of God's providence. If God has made it, then God actively sustains it. He governs it. He directs it. He uses it. It could be good. It could be evil. And we're wrong if we speak of God's providence as merely good things. What a providence of God that it worked out. No, I assure you from the Bible that even evil things are in God's providence. Many Bible verses, of course, set this forth. That Christ upholds all things by his powerful word. That no sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's knowledge. That the very hairs or lack thereof on our heads are numbered. That all our days are ordained for us, though as yet outside the womb there was not even one lived. That God has made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of evil, that God declares the end from the beginning, these are some of many Bible statements that illustrate the doctrine of providence. Well, coming to Philemon, what Paul says about the lives of Philemon and Onesimus too relays something of the doctrine of God's providence. He says it at verse 15. Perhaps Onesimus was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Have you looked at your life and wondered, why is this happening to me? Why is life going as it is for me right now? What is God doing? Why is God not doing the things that it seems in Scripture he is to be doing? What is the point? What is the lesson? What is the meaning? What is the significance of what I am right now experiencing in my own life? How should I see it and how should I think about it? These are real questions that come bubbling up from real circumstances. Some hardship or trial, some affliction, some common event that, though common, occasions some particular spiritual challenge. But whatever it is, here it was Philemon receiving back his unbelieving runaway slave Anasimus as a believer. Whatever it is, Paul helpfully has implied by his words that we should consider God's providence by means of the gospel. We should look at providence by means of the gospel. To do so is to find much spiritual encouragement. To do otherwise is to careen back and forth into greater alarm and even confusion. We can imagine Philemon in his situation here asking these sorts of questions about Onesimus. Why did he run away? Why did he steal from me, if that is the case, 
at verses 18 and 19. Why have I faced all the grief that I have faced? Onesimus is now back. Why is he back? He's back as a Christian. Why did I have to endure all the trials that I have? Paul's words at verses 15 and verse 16 address and they pertain to these very kinds of thoughts. Perhaps Onesimus was for this very reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother, both to you and to me in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul considered God's providence by means of the gospel. We might liken the gospel to a pair of eyeglasses. Some of you have eyeglasses. Some of you are blessed not to have them. Eyeglasses help us to see. They help us to focus on things. If we don't see things properly, that can mean for trouble. If we see things just as we ought, well, then things will go much better. If we have gospel glasses on, then we will see things as we should. We'll see them as God means us to see them. If we're not even wearing them, what damage can come about? And so we want to look today briefly at four words. This is point number one, four words from verse 15. And as a second point, we're going to see five implications from the doctrine. So four words and then five implications from the doctrine. We look at four words at verse 15. The first word is the word perhaps. Perhaps. Onesimus was for this reason separated from you for a while. Now this indicates something of Paul's grappling with the whole idea of God's providence in the lives of these men. It is not a definitive conclusion about God's providence, perhaps. But it's more than a mere nudge to Philemon to say, as it were, look on the bright side. No, this is more than that. It's at least showing us how Paul is thinking about their circumstances. The word perhaps implies what Moses wrote down at Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, that there is a secret will of God that he has not revealed. We cannot climb up into heaven by some back door and satisfy all of our curiosities to see everything just as God sees it. At the same time, by these gospel glasses and through the word perhaps, we see that because of the gospel that had so affected Onesimus, drawing him to Christ, enlightening his eyes and the knowledge of the truth, drawing him back even to Philemon, we can see in this that Paul, by that gospel, is reading providence. He's looking at things as God would have him to see. We see by this that the gospel instills within us a real optimism that says all things work together for good to those who love God, to the called according to his purpose. As the psalm says in Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and you do good. Very great theology in a simple word. Paul sees Onesimus' flight from Philemon as a good piece 
of a good puzzle, thanks to the gospel of grace. And it's all in that first word, perhaps. But secondly, there's also the prepositional phrase that's there. Perhaps for this reason, he was separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. This reminds us that with God, there is a reason for everything that happens. There is no such thing as chance. There is God's will. What happens is God's will. This reminds us that with God, there is a reason for everything. For every what from God, there is a why. And you and I may have the what without the why. But the fact of the matter is, is that God has them both. And he has you and me as we try to figure out the other. Paul saw the reason for Onesimus' departure was not so much as a slave determined to have his freedom from Philemon, but because of God's desire to give a better freedom in Christ. Onesimus' freedom led him to Rome, but it led him no further. The gospel of Christ gave Onesimus a freedom that led him not only to Christ, but back to Philemon, which was further. Onesimus left as a slave, he returned as a Christian. Philemon was left as a master, but he was returned to Onesimus as a brother. And Christ, like the providence in which all this occurred, held both of these things together. Perhaps for this reason, he left you and has returned. Onesimus was separated from the while, and God has his good reason in this providence. So we see that by that second expression, perhaps for this reason. A third one is the verb that he was separated for a time. And there's that clause there, so that you would have him forever. There's an irony in this. The verb that Paul uses for separate is in the passive voice. He's acknowledging the act. He's acknowledging the fact of Anasimus' departure. But he refers to this event not in the active voice, but in the passive voice. It is not that Anasimus departed. He says that he was separated from you. That's the passive voice. In other words, in Paul's thinking, or at least the way he's written it, Anasimus was not merely acting of himself, but he was one who was acted upon by one outside of himself, which is in this case a sovereign and a providential God. Perhaps for this reason, he was separated from you. In other words, Philemon, it's not so much that Onesimus fled. It is, in fact, that God took him for something far greater and better for you. And more ironic is that this word separated is often used in the Bible for many of the passages that speak on divorce. It's the same word. It turns out to have been here but the start of a true bond of brotherly love in the gospel. So there's even some irony in the way that Paul speaks of this whole matter. But finally, for the fourth uh, phrase here, there's the subtle but I think the intended contrast between the hour or the time or the while 
for which Onesimus was separated and gone from Philemon, and the age or the eternity or the forever for which he was returned. Paul says, perhaps Onesimus was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. Now, it could be that from Philemon's perspective, that seemed like forever already. All the inconvenience of the slack that he or others may have had to pick up with Philemon's departure. But the fact of the matter it is that that was only for a while. It probably was several months, but now he is back forever. This is how it looks to one who sees providence by the gospel of God's grace. And so these features remind us that Paul, with his eyeglasses spiritually, looked at the situation between these two, Philemon and Onesimus, and he said, we must look at providence by means of the gospel. There are many things that we don't know. One thing that we do know is that the gospel is true, and God works in providence for good means. You and I must do the same. We've noted these two men, but how do you see the providence of God? How are you doing with the doctrine of God's providence? How do you look at the strange turns of events? How are you reading surprising news, sudden changes? What is your take on things that you just cannot explain? You pray about them. You're wondering, how do I think? Or how should I interpret this? I wonder if you have such faith, such understanding to think, as the Apostle Paul thought on these two men. Do you have, how do they fit those gospel eyeglasses? By the gospel, God is offering you glasses. He's offering you to put them on and to see things as he means you to see them, by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this leads us to the five implications that I've said. And here we're basically applying the things. We're going deeper than these four words from the text. We want to see the five implications from the doctrine. The first one is that God himself considers providence by means of the gospel. God himself considers providence the way he's calling you and me to. What Paul does is he provides an example for us because it's what God himself does. It's what he does. Is not the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ the central event of all of history? Don't all events since the Garden of Eden, don't they all go to that crux of the matter? That crisis point of Christ dying for his people. Isn't Jesus, you mentioned the genealogies, isn't Jesus the main focus of all those genealogies? Isn't the point of the law and the prophets how Christ would suffer and die and enter into his glory? Indeed, God himself is looking at providence by means of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, all events, all sacred history is an unfolding of God's providence. And this is because of his commitment 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He set every feature of providence to be what it is in that overarching message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Because of God's goal, marriage is what it is for the sake of the gospel. The world and all it contains exists for the purpose of the gospel. Because of God's goal and his objective in his son to be a savior for sinners, therefore God made the world and has history to go just as it is. This is for as we read in Colossians, that Christ would have first place in everything. In everything. And so God considers even his own providence as he calls you and I to by the gospel. A second implication. We should admit that we should confess, maybe I should say. We should acknowledge that we too often consider the providence of God from an unnecessary ignorance or an unbelieving alarm. Just park on that for a moment. We too often consider God's providence from an unnecessary ignorance, an unbelieving alarm. If like some imaging device for brain scans, we could see the colors moving about in Philemon's mind. What might that have looked like? We can just look at the image of the scan. He was like you and me grieved in a situation and there's this ebbing blue with alarm and then there's this swaying green with disappointment or anger we can see swirling yellow with green and red with intensifying anger and hostility this is like a meteorological storm that may have been going on in Philemon's mind I find it difficult since Elijah was a man like you and me, as James says, and we would think that Philemon was as well, that he was not just saying here, I'm just quietly trusting God. He'll bring him back with not only a right sense of his obligations and my money, but he'll also bring him back as a Christian man. Be at peace. I tend to think that Philemon did not think quite that way. It's difficult to think otherwise because he's a man like you and me. He struggles with the things of God's providence. We often think of troubling events from our own selfish perspective. We think of events of how they rub us the wrong way. We think of how we wish that our circumstances were different. We think of how much discomfort we have to face yet again and now again. And we even ask, as the psalmist says, how long, O Lord? Have there not been instances this past week when you've doubted God? Have there been instances when we've been angry at God? When you've been impatient with God? Disappointed with God? Here again goes another day that I've prayed and I still don't have the answer. And we say, yes, I know that no is an answer. And I know that not yet is an answer. 
but we're not thinking of, of the providence of God from the disposition of the gospel that yes may be in view. We look at providence and we have this unnecessary ignorance or this unbelieving alarm. Why is this? It's because we don't consider the providence of God from the vantage point of the gospel. And the gospel as it's touching and as it's interfacing with our lives. We think of our own comfort in ignorance and pride. Deep down inside, I admit, I still prefer a life of ease, a life of comfort, rather than a life of holiness and faith. It comes down to these things. We tend to, not, we tend to see only the affliction. We see only the aggravation. We see the disappointment. We see the distress. But we tend not to easily see the patience or the humility or the trust that God is working in us as providence rolls on day in and day out. Sure, we want the life of holiness. We want the life of faith. But we want that when it's easy. We want that when it's comfortable. We don't want it when it involves really trusting God, persevering in prayer, enduring hardships, being ridiculed, not even getting the attention we think we should be getting from others. And so these are instructive words of Paul, the aged man, who teaches us to consider much more important things than our own things. Perhaps Onesimus was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. But third, a third implication. God is always doing deeper. God is always doing, could we say, better things in our lives than what we see on the surface. We think that God is stagnant, and yet God is, unbeknownst to us, quite active. And he's working all things together. We are perhaps disinclined to acknowledge the activity of God, but it is there all the same. And the gospel will help us see providence that way. You think of Job. Job is a godly man, feared the Lord. God brought affliction so that Job would be humbled even more. He would search for God in ways that he had never, it seems to that point, searched before. And in that, God would appear all the higher, all the holier to Job. And what did Job learn? That the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. And what did Job later receive but double for all his trouble? No, God was active. No, it seemed he had stopped altogether. God is always doing deeper, and I think we should say better things than what we've seen to the current in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can see Philemon arising one day, and he realizes that Anasimus is gone comes into his house, sees that oh, certain possessions are now gone. He connects the dots. What do we see him do? 
Well, the smiles dissipated. He's fretting. He's fuming, maybe. He can't fathom the situation. But God, as is said to discouraged and fainting Christians, says that he has prepared something better for them. It's something better. You say, better? What was wrong, Philemon might say, with what was? I kind of liked it the way that it was before. Having a slave was a fine arrangement, it would seem, for Philemon. Or was it? Wasn't Onesimus, despite the translation of his name, useful, useless to Philemon? Maybe he was frustrated with Onesimus. Maybe he said at some points, I wish I didn't even have him. He makes things more difficult here. Well, Paul seems to make a play and a pun on this. It's amazing how we respond when God takes away our useless things. Things of which we may complain. And he takes them away and then we say, ah, oh, I really appreciated that. And now it's gone. Wouldn't it have been better to have Anasimus back as a Christian and as a brother? How much better he would serve Philemon. One would only see that Philemon would have him with deep appreciation and brotherly love once again. God is always doing deeper. He is always doing better things in our lives than what we see on the surface or perhaps even what we're inclined to acknowledge. The, we do not often consider this shows us how we do not have our glasses on. And we need to see by means of the gospel. Are we willing to think this way? That God is actually still active, doing better things for the will of Christ in our lives. To pause in the moment of distress and alarming thoughts and say to ourselves, soul, self, God is working all things together for good. To those who love God, and those called according to his purpose. It's like Aslan. He is good, I tell you. He is the king. He is good. And he is the king. No doubt there are Onesimuses in our own lives that God is taking away. And if we would be holy, if we would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he must take those away. He will take those away because God loves us in Christ more than we love our things as Christians. If he did not, we would grow idolatrous. If God did not put his finger in terms of our daily life this way, we would grow prouder. We would be greedier. We would be more full of self and less of Christ. But God has prepared something better for us. And so we have to think more deeply that God is doing better things by the gospel in our lives than we're inclined to consider. Onesimus came back as a Christian man. Onesimus came back as a brother. And Onesimus would be, it seems, possibly set free to serve Paul in the ministry of the gospel. Who 
would have thought. God did. God was doing deeper things, better things, than Philemon even considered. Number four, what good God may take away by providence is often so that he may give that better by another providence. You say, aren't you repeating yourself? A little bit. Preachers tend to do that. But this one goes a little further. God never leaves us as paupers. Job's fortunes restored double after afflictions. Stephen's death and martyrdom made for Paul's conversion. Paul's imprisonment here has made for the letter to Philemon and the blessing of the people of God right up to the current moment. Jesus' death meant life and forgiveness for us. What good God may take away by a providence is so often that he may give another by a better providence. Only the gospel shows us this. Again, Anasimus, once a slave, taken for a time, given back to Philemon as a brother, taken for a time, returned forever. The first is good, the second is better. The first would have lasted only through this life, The second is going to endure through eternity. The first was useless. The second, again, ironically, useful. The psalmist seems to have known that. And again, that's why he says that the Lord is good and does good. You listen to the psalmist throughout Psalm 119. And he's there saying that at verse 67 and 68. But then a few verses later, affliction came Again to the psalmist. And then he says this. It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I may learn your statutes. He goes on again at verse 72. And he says the law of your mouth is better to me. There's that word. It is better to me than thousands of pieces of of silver and of gold. What God takes away by one providence, he will bring in something better by another providence. You say affliction, is that better providence? It is, because you learn these kinds of things. That otherwise you'd be greedier, more idolatrous, prouder, not as holy. There are instances in our own lives where it's probably not difficult to take these gospel glasses and see exactly what I mean. Is that not the case? Maybe it's a relationship for you. Maybe you are going through a particular physical affliction. Maybe you've been battling for years with what seems to be unanswered prayers. No doubt it's something. By virtue of the gospel of grace, friend, take courage, hope in the Lord, your anasimus may come back again. The gospel gives you that hope to keep praying, keep enduring, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What good God may take away by a providence is often so that he may give a better by another providence. That's what our Lord teaches us. That's what he said as he was preaching the gospel. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses 
or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What God takes away by one providence or several, he gives back by another wonderful providence. Should not the question become then, what better good has God given me in taking this one away? That's the holy question. That's the kind of prayer that's asked with gospel glasses on one's front. What has God given me in taking this away? See providence by the gospel. Lastly, then, we want to conclude that a truly positive mindset, a hopeful mindset, will be developed in us about things unknowable. Things that we cannot and even our most trusted and best people can't explain. Since the Lord is good and does good, and since he makes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those called according to his purpose, even though people may intend evil in the case of Joseph, God means it for our good. That's the truth. God means it for good. This is why we are hopeful people. Why we're called in the Psalms. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. And you know the psalmist said that to the other people after he's just been embattled with learning some particular trial. If the apex of history and providence was the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ, then shall I not see that whatever harm or evil I suffer pales in comparison to that? Shall I not see that God's providence in the Lord's death and due time in his resurrection from it after that to his ascension into heaven and session at God's right hand means, as Paul said, how shall he not also give me all things? Shall I not see that if his death and resurrection for my life, and he sits now in heaven and is one day coming back for me, all of providence will turn to eternal glory. Will I not pray this way? Will I not have such kind of hope? And the world would call it optimism. Being a positive thinker, looking on the bright side. But for you and I, blessed with these kinds of hard providences, it's called hope. It's called trusting in the Lord. He is good, I tell you. He is the king. So these several points have been a sort of, I guess, an eye exam for us today. God has become our optometrist, and he's shown us that indeed our vision is needs correction. He has a new prescription for us. It is that we would see straight. It's that we would actually see things, not in the way that we're inclined to. Is it a young woman or is it an old woman? 
But it is God's providence, and it is good. And so by faith we fix and focus our eyes on Jesus Christ. And thereby we will see that all is well, and it is going well for us. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word being perfect and true, inspired without any mistakes, and therefore of such good counsel for us to think your thoughts after you, to be corrected, reproved, even rebuked, that we might be found in Christ, knowing the truth and confessing it as it is in Jesus. Lord, have mercy upon us. Give your help to us. Strengthen us as weary pilgrims, often sad, troubled,